Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Please consider doing me a favor and pre-ordering my new book uh, from Coach House Books, The National Gallery. Uh, it contains sonnets for Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies in the manner of Rilke, but for a dead iPhone, uh, and other strange missives from yours truly, the poet laureate of hell. So go to thenationalgallery.ca for more information. That's thenationalgallery.ca. Thanks. So last uh, podcast, we were talking about the my four-stage process for editing, and I want us to talk, to, and we talked about stage one, the macro structure. Uh, so I'm just going to quickly summarize that uh, in real brief uh, notes, and then we're going to move on to talking about the next uh, stage, stage two, where we're doing micro-structural editing. Uh, so what I'm the basic nutshell of it, you can go listen to that last week's podcast if you haven't already. You know, listen to that first. So this won't make as much sense. Um, but the nutshell of it, uh, just to remind you, is uh, you write your manuscript. In my example, I'm just, you know, you've written a novel. Uh, let's say there are 20 chapters in that novel. Well, you put the manuscript uh, and you go through it uh, and you, you know, break apart the structure. So it's got 20 chapters. You break it into sections, whatever the sections are. In this case, we're using chapters. Uh, and then you, you know, get you know, an outline on a new word file, or you maybe get 20 index cards. And you just note in brief uh, point form a summary of what happens in each chapter. So a really quick sentence or two and some point form notes about what happens in the chapter. Noting, say, the plot action, you know, what actually happens on a plot level. Maybe some other things like, you know, what thematically is happening, uh, how the person is changing inside, for example, uh, maybe, or just what else is going on in terms of the elements of that chapter, maybe like what objects are in that chapter, what uh, locations the characters are in, who is in that chapter, whatever. Once all that stuff has been kind of sorted out in a nutshell, uh, what you're going to end up doing is having a summary document, this little outline, this after-the-fact outline of what you wrote, uh, of what your manuscript is. At that point, you need to take the manuscript and put it away and stop looking at the manuscript. And I'll go into detail about this last week. Uh, I won't talk too much more about it this week, but it's very important in this process of editing that I'm describing, which is my process. You know, Again, I'm advising it because it works. Uh, it's a repeatable, systematic process, so you can get um, good results from it. I can do it myself. I can teach other people to do it. That's what I mean by systematic. Uh, there is a system. It's not haphazard. But it's not the only process. You might do a different process. I advise this process for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, because it works. Uh, two, because it is relatively efficient and you know, overall takes less time uh, and fewer drafts. Um, than what people's kind of normal process is. Normally people have a more haphazard process, which may still work, but often is slower and less efficient. Um, and the third and maybe biggest reason that I advise this process uh, is because it is 
extreme <laughs> in the sense that uh, my process sort of has you doing work that many people, much of the time people don't do. Uh, again, I've got a, I'm going to describe a four-stage process. Usually people jump to what I would call the third stage, and they don't deal with these first two stages, which are, I think, the most important stages, the structural stages, where you're not looking at the language, and you're not looking at the manuscript you wrote, you're putting it aside, you're not looking at the language. Instead, you're looking underneath the language. You're looking at the structure. You're trying to get at story problems. Or if you're looking at a poem, you're trying to get at some sort of structural issue. Now, all that, uh, what you then do, of course, after you've got your macro structure figured out, is you, uh, when you, so you, now you've gone through your summary document, you, you're making a new plan for revision based on the summary document only, not looking at your draft. So by the end of that, by the end of stage one, you've got a checklist of things to do, and then you go pick up the manuscript again, and you do those things. And you only do those things. So you just do the things that were on your checklist. You don't worry about other things. You're just getting the structure in place. So your second draft um, of this book, uh, in this case, the, we're talking about a book, your second draft of the novel then, it is not good. Uh, but it has a structure that works. The overall structure works. You've now got, let's say, I moved from 20 chapters to 17 chapters, uh, and they're in the right place. They're in the right order. And the basics of them, uh, you know, the fundamental aspects, like who's the main character, what characters are in what chapter, and so on, m that fundamental stuff more or less is in place. Now, we're ready to move into stage two. Stage two is just doing the same thing on a smaller scale. Now I'll point out that people hate doing this. <laughs> they hate it. Uh, this is the big drawback of my process. People hate it uh, until, because it's a lot of work. Um, it's easy to ignore that it's less work because it seems like more work. You're sitting there and you're spending more time doing a draft, but you're gonna do less drafts. So I'm gonna have you do five drafts instead of 20. But each single one of those drafts will take longer. So it seems like you're making less progress. It seems like more work. Really, you're making more progress and it's less work. Uh, but it's a bit more thorough, right? Um, so people hate doing this. Uh, they hate, they want to jump to the fun stuff, which is playing with the language. But I don't want you to play with the language at this point. We're not into the language yet. The language is stage three, style. Right now we're in structure. Structure, the core thing uh, that matters the most in many respects uh, at least in fiction, uh, and I would argue also in a poem, the thing that most people get wrong and skip, the thing that constantly people are seeking editors for, you know, you can uh, often write very well as a writer, but maybe have structural problems. So you can solve yourself uh, a lot of problems on your own before you get to an editor. You can increase your acceptance rates. You can even just save money not hiring as many editors, you know, depending on what your scenario is. People hate doing this, but I'll tell you this. I literally do it in front of people's eyes and solve major problems that have been plaguing them for weeks. I solve problems that have been plaguing people for weeks in minutes. And again, as I said last week, it's not because I'm super smart. Uh, and because I'm you know, some sort of structural editing writing genius is because I've got a system and they don't. So like I've got a system to figure out where is the weak part of a manuscript. They don't have a system. So uh, 
you know, anybody could use my system. It's just that they don't. So anyway, uh, I'm going giving you the nutshell of it in these podcasts. I once had a student, by the way, I'll tell you this story. So I once had a student show me her short story. She had the complaint that she didn't know what was wrong with it. So right in front of her, her eyes, I broke it into 10 uh, parts. So I literally like took the short story. She had it printed out in front of her, and I just drew lines where she had inserted section breaks already. So I didn't even do anything here, right? I just, she had a section break, so she had like this extra space, and I just drew like a line in there instead of having empty space. It's a line, okay? Then I numbered them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I just write, wrote one sentence, what happens in each section. Uh, you know, so one, you know, I forget what it was. It was like one, you know, people walk by a new condo. Two, you know, uh, they are out to coffee. Three, dream sequence. Um, she realized immediately, in any case, once I had done this, you know, I, I, I want to say, like, I, would, I literally only wrote like that, or like dream sequence. I didn't write anything that happened in the dream sequence. I hadn't even really read the story. I was just getting her to summarize what the story was in front of me. So keep this in mind, you know. I'm just summarizing what she said. I'm drawing a line where she wrote a section break. I'm putting a number just to, you know, break, just to number the 10 sections that she already had. I'm not even reading the story. I'm just, you know, writing down two, three words that summarize what happens in that section based on what she had just told me was happening in it. So I did this, and then I'm like, well, look at the structure of it, and, you know, what do you, what do you notice? Is there anything unusual? Well, she realized immediately there's a dream sequence that introduced a bunch of information that wasn't relevant to the plot, and also it introduced the core conflict between the two characters. So that's right. The conflict, uh, the core conflict that structured the story was arising in a dream rather than in the reality of the story's plot. In other words, it didn't make any sense at all because the second character was acting like he had access to the first character's dream life. Uh, As well, uh, and this is a thing I see all the time in my creative writing classes, all the time, 40% 40% of the story. So, again, I numbered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10. 40% of it, so four of the 10 scenes came before the dream scene, which was dream, scene five, uh, the dream scene where the conflict was introduced. So, in this example, a simple fix would be to cut everything prior to the dream and open with the dream. Or with the, and the conflict arose in the backstory rather than over the course of the story. That's one solution. There's any, any number of other solutions. You know, you could have moved the conflict to a scene earlier. You could have replaced the first scene, for example. But the point is, you had 40% of the story before the conflict was introduced. Um, I see that all the time. People give me a 10-page story. Four, four, on page five, the conflict is introduced. Well, imagine a novel that worked that way. Imagine a novel uh, where halfway through, you finally know what the novel is about. The student came up with a better solution, uh, but this is just than the one I just gave you. But this is just a quick example of like a problem and solution that could be identified easily when the structure is isolated. You got four parts. Part five is where the conflict is introduced. Um, uh, you know, five to ten. Well, you got to move that conflict earlier. That's a simple structural, sh- you know, f- uh, problem and fix. Again, I want to point out that I didn't really do anything in this scenario. Uh, the student just kind of realized the problem and solved the problem herself. Um, but she had been, it had taken her like a long, long time to get to that point. And 
it, it wasn't that she knew more than I did. It's just that I literally didn't know anything. I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> and I go, honestly, I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but you know, here's what I would do. And I'd go click, 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 click. And in the process, she, then she figured it out. It wasn't obvious because uh, it wasn't isolated. When the structure is isolated, it becomes more obvious. And the writing, in this, her case, this is a case I see a lot, her writing was pretty good. And because the writing was good, it was masking the problem. And so, again, if you're a good writer on the level of the sentence, uh, you can really screw yourself over because you can make your terrible story read well. The process of using the summary document divorces you from the language and focuses on the story, focuses on the structure. Uh, you can't hide behind good writing. If you've got stylistic problems in the first draft, reverse scenario, if you've got stylistic problems in your first draft, which of course everybody does, you might actually do the opposite. You might mask all your excellent work with insecurity about your language. You know, it reads poorly, but actually how it reads doesn't matter. The first draft doesn't matter how it reads. No one's reading your first draft. Uh, when I say look at the microstructure, uh, so again, in stage two, look at the microstructure. What I mean is look at the, uh, basically section by section, you're doing the same thing as this larger macrostructure uh, analysis. So you're going section by section, the units of the macrostructure were identified and you're breaking them down. So if you had chapters in a novel, well, now you're going chapter by chapter and you're breaking that apart. Maybe, you know, in the novel example, let's just continue it. Your macrostructure example, you've summarized chapter one in a quick sentence or two, and now we're gonna keep chapter one, you've decided. We made a few major decisions, like we're gonna combine with chapter two. And we decided to delete a character that features inside of the chapter from the novel, okay? Well, now we have to look at chapter one and two and break down the existing structure and plan how to rework it, probably, We'll want to use the scene as our unit at this point, rather than the chapter, and make a quick summary of each scene. Uh, produce a similar, you know, summary document that just isolates the structure in, you know, these chapters that we're going to combine, and then walk through all sorts of the same decisions. Do we rearrange the scenes? Do we delete the scenes? Do we add the scenes? You know, and so on. Should we add a character to certain scenes in the chapter? Does an object need to be featured in an earlier scene or set up uh, something else in an early scene or some other scene? Do any scenes perform the same function as other scenes? Does the conflict escalate from scene to scene? That's the most important thing to understand often is like, is the conflict escalating? Is the subplot being served enough in this chapter? You know, if it's important to have here, is it here enough? One thing I really encourage you to do when you're down to thinking about the organization of scenes, so inside of a microstructure, let's say, you know, inside of a chapter in this example, you, you know the chapter is in the right spot, you know you need this chapter, you know the basics of what has to happen in this chapter, you've got a draft of it, now you're breaking that into scenes and you're looking at uh, scene to scene. Uh, should we reorder things? Should we cut some of them? Can we replace things? Can we combine them? And so on. One thing I really encourage you to do at this stage is to rethink the setting in action. So what's the function or the point of each scene in the chapter? Isolate that. If the point of chapter one is to introduce us to the main character and the chaotic life that she leads, then does every scene contribute to this and develop this point rather than simply belaboring the point? 
In other words, is there development across the chapter or just a bunch of stuff thrown together and called a chapter? Does that make sense? Um, escalation, development, rather than just repetition. Let's say the point of chapter one is to introduce the main character and the chaotic life she leads again. In our draft, maybe she wakes up on her typical day and it all appears like a normal day. She's making coffee, showering, so on. Then her mug explodes. Her cereal bowl breaks apart. Bullets are flying through her kitchen. Okay? My immediate change here would be to start the scene with the mug exploding. Maybe we want a totally different scene that has the same function instead. Uh, don't be afraid to throw the whole scene away. You know, but think about that scene by scene thing. Maybe you've got you know this happening, this happening, and then this thing happens to sh throw her life into chaos. Often that's a thing that is people are doing inside of a chapter. Uh, is they're starting with a person waking up, and then later on something happens. I mean, almost always you want to just start with the thing that happens later. Or you know, consider changing something fundamental like the setting. You know, even if all you do is make things more interesting by using a more interesting setting, well, you know, you just made everything more interesting. So you win. Maybe she wakes up in a houseboat in a Louisiana swamp. She grabs a tea bag and plops it in a mug and then scours around for clean water. She can't find any, so she scoops out some from the swamp. Then she grabs a magnifying glass and is going to try boiling the water with that. She's sadly and patiently trying to use the magnifying glass to boil the water when a bullet hits the mug and it explodes. Does that make sense? There I can get, uh, I can ease into things. I don't have to start with the mug exploding, but I've made the setting more interesting um, than just your average, you know, everyday house. All the sort of everyday morning actions have been estranged a little bit uh, from normalcy because of this unusual setting uh, and so on. May I want that slower pace to start? May I want to go through the minutiae of a morning? But the simple setting change is going to help me accomplish this because it adds interest to what otherwise might be a bland scene uh, by giving it all some flavor. People get bound to their ideas, you know. Uh, once they have it in a draft, they think, well, that's the draft. But it's not the draft. It's a draft. It's not the draft. The draft is the final draft. A draft is what you just, a draft is what you just have in front of you which you need to divorce yourself from, which you might remarry, but which you might just throw in the dustbin of history. You know, you don't need to have that draft around anymore if you don't want to. Maybe we'd get a better idea of the chaos in this person's life if the story began in an upturned car. Maybe we get a better sense of how this person is lost in her life if she wakes up having gotten drunk and passed out in a hedge maze. Uh, you know, once you're clear on the purpose of the chapter and its scenes, you need to think through not just what you've done, but all the different things you could have done to serve that same purpose. That's where it's really important to figure out the function of a scene, the function of a chapter, because you might just rewrite everything in that chapter, but keep the structure of it, like keep the function of it uh, the same. Especially in the structural editing stages, you need to make serious efforts to identify and re-examine decisions you made by default. The real trap of the first draft is this. All the things you did in your draft because they occurred to you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, this is a real trap of the first draft. The things that you did just because if you thought of doing them. Uh, so you were inspired. You were, may have heard the, the expression, first thought, best thought. Well, I like to revise it poetically as first thought, worst thought. I like that because not only is first thought, best thought, 
I think better phrase, I, I think it's ridiculous. I think first thought, worst thought, one better captures uh, like the actual uh, process of how writing works. Uh, but also I think it's a good example of how, of editing in motion. You know, first thought, worst thought rhymes. First worst. So already, first thought, worst thought as a sentence is better than first thought, best thought. <laughs> and philosophically and practically in terms of your process, I think it also is better. Often your first thought is the idea that just sprang into your head and seemed like, you know, inspired the scene that seemed to write itself. Often those things were easy because you saw them already somewhere else. You know, often your worst ideas come fully formed uh, it makes, makes them seem like good ideas. Whereas your best ideas arise as a result of a laborious process like structural editing. They're not saying you can't have good ideas in a moment like that. I mean, I, I do it too. But a lot of times, let's just be honest, a lot of times our first ideas are just things we've seen already somewhere, uh, maybe a hundred times. It seems natural because it's just what we're used to. Now, uh, if you want to really go down the rabbit hole with this, structurally speaking, you could just keep going down and down and down. Microstructure editing usually takes the longest um, because, again, instead of going over the whole like 20 chapter novel, um, we're looking like each chapter individually and breaking it into scenes. So this is like the part of the draft that really sucks to do because you're just going like cha section, chapter by chapter, breaking each chapter apart in a separate document, restructuring that chapter, coming up with a little, you know, s you know, checklist, redoing that, you know, you're really kind of going through it. And you can keep going down the rabbit hole of it. You could break each, you know, chap, you know, you could break the novel into chapters, you can break the chapters into scenes, you can break the scenes into uh, beats, you know, story beats. You can beat the beats into paragraphs. You can look at the internal structure of every paragraph or every sentence if you wanted to. What I would say is like, go down the rabbit hole as far as you need to do, but don't just keep going down the rabbit hole. What I mean by need here is subjective too. You don't want to, this sort of editing to become a procrastination method. This is the danger of my process, is that it's easy to become a procrastination method where you're just playing around with cue cards and you're not actually doing any writing anymore. Um, so stop when you catch yourself becoming obsessive. You know, stop when you feel like you're just uh, moving things around and it's not really changing it. Some people are terrible at paragraph coherence. In an essay, they really benefit from numbering each sentence in the paragraph and thinking through what each sentence does and so on and so forth. You know, that's a great tactic to use in editing essays because that way you make sure you've done enough analysis, you make sure you're not relying on plot summary. Um, but in a novel, maybe it's overkill, you know, to start picking apart the structure paragraph by paragraph. On the other hand, you know, Don DeLille does it. Uh, he does something like that. He reportedly, DeLillo writes drafts with one paragraph on each page in his file. Uh, he really looks at that paragraph in isolation as his own unit and polishes it before, you know, he starts to push them all together into a chapter and so on. I mean, it depends what you, how you want to spend your time, right? How much time you will allow yourself for editing uh, and so on. Usually, uh, I would say the most efficient way to work is to start big on the grand scale of the global manuscript you get the most benefit from fixing these global problems on that scale. As a simple example, again, you may get more benefit from determining you should delete a chapter 
or replace your last 10 chapters than solving any problem inside those chapters. Uh, and working at this macrostructural level first and then going down to smaller and smaller structural levels until you stop reaping benefits uh, is basically, you know, what I would advise. Maybe it's worth your time to really interrogate your paragraph structure or even interrogate your sentence structure. Um, but more than likely, you can just stop before you get down to that point and just dive down when, when you hit a problem paragraph. So uh, by this point, you've done almost all your editing. Now, it's probably taking you a while. So by the time you hit stage three of my you know, uh, four-stage process, you really have done almost all the work. At this point, you, you, now you're really... Um, have solved all your structural problems. You've, you've got all your structural issues, uh, whether you're on your third or your first draft or whatever. You finally have a solid draft in terms of its structure. Uh, so the story works. All your chapters are in the right place. You have the right ending. You have every chapter internally uh, works, like it is structurally sound. At this point, and only this point would I advise you to try to write well. Yeah, writing well in the traditional sense where you're trying to improve the language. Making the language work elegantly or however you want it to work. Again, this is where writers often begin to focus in editing. It's a terrible idea. It's a huge time waster. But it's where people start because they're comfortable. They're comfortable with the language. They're writers. They just dive right into this editing the language. You know, absolute stupidest thing you could possibly do, and I've done it too, <laughs> is like you write a draft and then you just start rewriting it. Well, what are you doing? Uh, you're not necessarily doing anything at that point because you don't know what's going on. You're just fixing sentences. Who cares about the sentences at this point? No one's going to read these sentences until they're fixed, right? So you need to figure out whether the sentence should be there. As hard as it is, and I have a hard time with it too. I'm always trying to, you know, do this because I'm a bit of a stylist. But it's really worth trying to leave playing with the language to this late stage in the editing process. Playing with the language is probably why you like writing in the first place. So it's hard to just push it back to a later date and slog through the work of editing and drafting with an eye primarily to structure. But playing with the language is your biggest time waster. It's your least efficient use of your time in editing. The massive, simple question to give you perspective on the whole editing process is this. Why would you bother to rewrite a sentence you should delete inside of a chapter that you should be deleted? It does not matter how great the chapter reads. It does not matter how beautiful that line of dialogue sounds if neither should be there. If you make them great, if you make that speech the most beautiful speech you've ever written, if you make that chapter the most elegant piece of writing you've ever produced, then you won't delete it when you should. When you look at the major writers who suffered declines, almost always this is the problem that they face. Their style does not match their story. I want you to really think about this and to think about the writers you know that you've followed, that you love, and then at a certain point they start to go downhill. Now, not every writer does that, but when you find writers that do that, what has happened? It could be different things. I mean, maybe they had, you know, uh, became alcoholics. Who knows what happened exactly? But often what it is on an artistic level uh, is that 
their style no longer matches their material. They developed a style over time and they mastered that style. They were rewarded for this. They brought them money, it brought them fans, it brought them fame. You know, you read their book for that reason. Then what did they do? Well, they applied their style and they applied their style and they did another project and they applied their style and they refined it, they refined it. Then they found a story that it didn't suit. Their style concealed the story's weaknesses to the point where it managed to convince the writer of its strength. It even convinced an editor and a publisher, but the readers saw through it. The readers saw through it all because all the readers cared about was the final draft, not their career, not the marketing reports. All you cared about was that, yeah, it sounded great, it was beautifully written, but mm, I can't even remember what happened something I couldn't put my finger on. But it just wasn't up to, you know, what I expected. You've ever felt that way about one of these writers? I want you to really think about if that is a scenario. If a different writer had had the same material, could they have done uh, something better with it because they wouldn't have used the same old style? If you've ever read a horrible but a well-written book by an author you've admired, then you probably know exactly what I mean. If those writers had focused on the structure by making the story work well, uh, independent of their style, then they could have applied their style to a story that it would not have otherwise suited. In other words, um, this is what often counts as development, in fact, artistic development. is uh, A writer gets a story that doesn't, their style doesn't suit, they get that story to work structurally, and then they apply their style. Well, the story works, uh, and so, now they've developed artistically. You, you may find a story that your style doesn't suit and apply that style to it anyway, after being certain the story is solid. Uh, you make it work despite all odds, because, despite how it shouldn't work. You're growing as an author and maybe even growing the genre. But if you don't have that structure down, uh, nothing can save you. Focus on the structure, then the style. Now I won't get too far into style editing uh, in terms of like the mechanics of it, because that's exceedingly complicated um, uh, and it you know genre specific and what I'm talking about is this overall broad uh, approach where no matter what we're writing uh, we can be you know breaking it apart and doing these structural uh, edits then again we get down to the style eventually so the fourth stage the final stage of my um, four stage editing process is what I call mechanics uh, and this is pretty simple. At the very, very, very end of the editing process is when you should correct your spelling mistakes, your grammar, put things in the proper format, and so on. Now, a lot of writers do this sort of thing at the early stages of a project. Uh, they play around with making cover pages. They start each session fixing uh, glaring errors, like how they spelled Thomas uh, as Tomas on one page, but not on the next. You know, they play around with putting chapter one. Maybe they put in a different font. You know, maybe they make it really big. You know, maybe they make it a little small. Maybe they try, like, one spelled out as a word. Maybe they put, like, the numeral one. When you catch yourself doing stuff like that, <clears throat> remember this. You could literally pay somebody else to do that. You could pay somebody else to do it. You could pay somebody else to correct your spelling. You could pay somebody else to fix your grammar. You could pay somebody else to format your manuscript. Uh, whatever. It's a waste of your time. And I'm not saying you should pay somebody else to do it, necessarily. Uh, because you may not have the budget for that, but theoretically, you, 
you should, if you have the money, you should pay somebody else to do that stuff. You probably just can't afford to do it. I mean, I can't afford to pay someone to fix all my spelling mistakes. Um, if you can, you'll do it. Pay somebody else to fix everything. Pay somebody else to format it. Back in the day, writers would write in longhand and they would pay secretaries to type it up. Now, we're used to doing shadow work like bagging our groceries now and correcting our own spelling mistakes uh, is like bagging your own groceries. You know, it's non-specialist work that you would be better off paying somebody else to do. How you create, I'm going to get into like <laughs> economic theory a little bit here. How you create value in capitalism and in relationships also uh, is by focusing as much as possible on only those things that only you can do. Now, again, in practical reality, you're probably going to fix your own spelling mistakes because you, you don't want to pay somebody to fix your spelling mistakes. But theoretically speaking, uh, you should pay somebody else to do that because you could pay somebody else to do that. And what you really want to be focusing on are things you can't get somebody else to do. You should really, ideally, artistically speaking, you should be spending your artistic time as much as possible spending your artistic time only doing the things that only you can do. Uh, and this is true in every area of life, ideally. I mean, you know, it's never ideal, right? But ideally, this is what you want to be moving towards. I was running my daughter through uh, time management once. She asked me to help her with time management exercise. And I, so I was like running her through, she just started breaking down and like, uh, under like the stress of all the stuff she had to do in high school. And she's like, can you teach me time management? And I said, okay, fine. So I started moving her through some time management exercises. And I had her write out a list of all the things that she had to do that week because she was, you know, just freaking out about this horrible week coming up. I said, okay, well, write out all the things you have to do this week, you know, all the things you feel you have to do, whether or even just things you really want to do. Everything from, like, go to choir class to, you know, go on my, a date with my her boyfriend, uh, write a poem, you know, hang out with, go out to sushi with his dad, whatever like me, <laughs> I said, like, write it all down. She was overcommitted in life. She was especially overcommitted that week. I asked her about, you know, the choir class, which she had complained about a lot. And I said, you know, why are you taking choir class? She didn't enjoy it, but she had hoped uh, she would. But she felt like people would be disappointed in her if she dropped the class. So I just laid it out for her. Like, whether or not she disappoints people is their problem, not hers, uh, in many respects. It, but in a really fundamental way, like, here's the thing to think about. Somebody else can sing those notes in the choir. It's a literal choir. There are actually other people already singing the same notes in exactly the same way. Somebody else could write a poem, but only she could write her poem. Somebody else could go on a date with her boyfriend, too, I guess. But, of course, only she can be her on a date, which is her goal. If she had to start making choices about how she was going to spend her time, she needed to prioritize things that only she could do. She needed to prioritize things like write her poem, uh, date her boyfriend. Um, you know, maybe, you know, they could have put a date off to another week, but if, uh, ideally... Like, those are the things, the concept is, it holds true. Those are the things that only she could do. Other people can sing a high C while wearing black shirts. So don't waste your time correcting the spelling of a word that you should change to a better word. Inside of a paragraph you should delete in a novel that should really be a short story. Decide it's a short story at heart first. 
slash out everything that doesn't belong, restructure what's left, polish the language, and then worry about what font to use in the title. Then spend all your newfound free time on a date celebrating your newly completed story. So, you know, check out those two episodes if you haven't already. Uh, I mean, obviously listen to this one, but if you haven't already listened to the first one, go check it out. Um, if you want to hear more specifics about editing, I'm going to be talking more about in a future podcast. If you have specific questions about editing, like if anything uh, here you think needs to be more fully explained, or if you have a particular type of editing that you want me to delve a bit more fully into, uh, let me know. Um, you can find me at you know jonathanball.com, uh, writingtherongway.com, or you know just jonathan at jonathanball.com. That's my email address if you want to email me, jonathan at jonathanball.com. Um, I'm always at jonathanball.com, writing the wrong way, dot com. Keep writing the wrong way. <laughs>